politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. You're all around Inspector General. You know, everyone's talking about Michael Horowitz, the FBI Inspector General. Well, here we got to inspect every aspect of government, um, not just the FBI. Every agency is out of control. No lever of government is oriented towards we the people, non-criminal citizens of the United States who don't want a subsidy, don't want a handout, don't want to be overtaxed and overregulated. Just give us a fighting chance. Give us protection. Give us security. Secure the blessings of liberty and leave us alone. This is the show for you. And boy, do we have a lot to get to today. Um, yesterday, I got a lot of great feedback. You guys are just pummeling me with all sorts of uh, cases of jailbreak, violent criminals or pedo offenders, let go, never sentenced. And we're going to keep focusing on that. And really, today's show is kind of a part two to yesterday. And we're going to do this from time to time. We've done this before. Yesterday, we focused more on the avoidable crimes committed by Americans that are repeat offenders who should have been locked up. Today, we're going to discuss what we've discussed so often. So much of the violent crime, violent culture, cultural problems, honor killings, terrorism, um, certain gruesome crimes, sex assaults, drunk driving, being brought in that are very predominant in certain cultures. And we, we don't properly vet it out. As we discussed last week, on the anniversary of 9-11, 18 years later, we have no desire to have any ability to properly vet these people, to have a system where the, the starting point is we, the people, the citizenry, through our elected representatives, determine who comes in through a merit-based system Start with the best, most productive, least likely to be a criminal or import bad culture and to be the most likely to love America out of all 7.8 billion people in the world. There's plenty of people to choose from. Start with that rather than, oh, illegal immigrants get to come here, get amnesty and then determine who comes in or uh, legal immigrants chain migration and we barely vet these people. And today's show. Really, the title comes from a comment from Jessica Vaughn of Center for Immigration Studies. She gave me for my latest column at Conservative Review. We have a lot of columns up there today about America essentially becoming a super highway for all the social ills of the world. The end of my column today, titled The Trump Administration Can End the Immigration Loophole Fueling MS-13 in the Budget Bill. Trump promised to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. But unless this provision, which we're going to talk about, is removed in the budget bill, the MS-13 recruitment superhighway will continue to be built with Americans paying for it with money, blood, and their children overdosing on dangerous drugs. So much of what we're bringing in, you know, we have our own problems. America <laughs> certainly has a lot of problems with the youth the culture, um, worse than ever. But still, I think we all prefer America to any other part of the world. And we understand that there are a lot of problems in the world, whether it's cultural, whether it's security, you know, crime, gangs, cartel, narco culture, the Islamic culture that we don't want to bring into this country. So it doesn't take a genius to realize that if you bring in so many hundreds of thousands of illegals from Latin America, from these dangerous cultures without any vetting. And if you bring in so many people from the Middle East, even legally, but through chain migration, well, you're gonna, be, you're gonna bring in the problems. And I will tell you folks, I am working on an endless stream of cases I could just list to you, that each one should be publicized. We should be talking about how did we bring this in, closing the criminal alien loopholes, better vetting. But 
you're not going to hear about a single one of them. I'm only going to have time to get to a few of these cases, but we're going to do what we did yesterday with general crime. We're going to do with criminal alien crime. I want to go down the list of just a smack. I just want to give you a flavor of what I'm working on. Let me just first set the table by talking about one story from yesterday. Some of you might have seen BuzzFeed leaked a story that Ken Cuccinelli, the good USCIS director, uh, the agency which is responsible for actually vetting visas and immigrants, that he wants to change the stupid internal privacy rules at DHS to, to aggressively put out to the media when you have immigrant crimes. You know, a refugee, an asylee, a UAC, you know, this illegal immigrant who commits certain heinous crimes related to MS-13, um, terrorism crimes from those from the Middle East, because we need to know. We need to know. The reason why it's so important is we're all ripping our hair out what to do with mass shootings, what to do with some inherent problems, and we can't stop everything. But a crime committed by people who we electively bring into this country by definition is avoidable. And certainly a repeat crime where we already had him in our hands and could have deported him. You can't deport an American, but you can deport a foreign national. It's 100% avoidable. And it's also important in terms of data collection. Because if you want to study, well, we have a big trend of certain types of drugs coming in, certain type of gangs, certain types of heinous forms of murder. Well, it's important to know, is that an inherent problem or is that an electively imported problem? It's not, it has nothing to do with what your color of your skin is, what your origin is. I don't care if it's from Iceland, if it's from Canada, if it's from Pakistan, or if it's from El Salvador. But if we're bringing in certain things in large numbers that are coming from certain areas and they're not really native to America, then we need to go back to the drawing board and say, hey, is there something wrong with their immigration system? Which there certainly is. Um, plenty of things wrong with it. And, and, and address that. So while everyone's talking about, oh, you know, even Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott, the allegedly conservative governor and lieutenant governor of Texas, they're talking about, oh, universal background checks and guns, this. What about effective universal background checks on people that we electively bring into this country? And then certainly once they're already in and they're already known to be a problem and starting to do bad things, we still don't vet them and we still don't scrutinize them when we have the legal and constitutional ability to get rid of them. That's why it's so important. This is the most important thing you can do in terms of security. And it's the most redressable through our constitutional system because they don't have an inherent right to come here or to remain here if they're not yet a naturalized citizen. And again, we're all we're always so obsessed with, you know, gender and race and this type of demographic. We take all sorts of data. But the one thing the FBI uniform crime statistics and all these things never quantify is how many of each category of crime over what period of time is committed by illegal immigrants, legal immigrants and US citizens. That's not a matter of race. I don't I don't care. I don't need demographic information. I want that because that determines a legally whether it's redressable, whether, you know, for example, if the crime was committed by a foreign national, so then you can give him over to ICE. You don't have to release him on bond pre-trial. And then if he doesn't get convicted, which as we spoke about yesterday is often the case, then at least you can get rid of them. Whereas an American, you know, they'll be let back on the streets. But also to know cumulatively, are we are we bringing in too much of this? Right, that's very important. Are we bringing in too much of this type of stuff? We need to know that. That is something that all of us really should strive for. You know, in immigration policy. So what happened was someone leaked it to BuzzFeed. Now my sources believe that the leaker-in-chief, Kevin McAleenan, was the one who leaked this, that Ken Cuccinelli was planning on changing the privacy policy. But Ken came out swinging after they leaked it, and he said, look, this is from a series of tweets under his account, 
There has been some interest in a potential change in the process by which USCIS releases immigration information of accused criminals who are in our, our asylum or refugee process. Americans will appreciate information about criminals in order to protect their communities and their families and to better understand how well our system works or sometimes does not work. DHS privacy policy already permits the release of certain information if the public interest outweighs the individual's privacy interest, such as when two dozen members of the MS-13 gang were arrested in California for brutal murders. Many of the individuals in that case had illegally entered the United States or entered and sought to stay in the U.S. using asylum or refugee status. Due to the abuse of the refugee and asylum programs by MS-13, terrorist organizations and cartels, the acting director requested the same authority in order to educate the American public, lawmakers, and the media about the dangerous criminals who came to the United States abusing our, our legal immigration system. I mean, this was 9-11, folks. 9-11, like I say, it wasn't at its core about the military and foreign policy in Afghanistan. At its most basic direct level, it was about abuse, you know, people who abused our legal immigration system who came in to commit the ultimate atrocity. How could we better vet that? And 18 years later, we've done nothing to answer that question of better vetting other than double our immigration from Middle Eastern countries and our visa system and student visas particularly, as well as our border flow and bogus asylum from Latin America. So now we just have more of the problems coming in with still no answer to how do you vet and how do we better have a more deliberate system where we seek out who we want we do the draft pick of who we want rather than the crap we bring in but this is a huge problem that we're not quantifying in data so the best i'm left with is bringing anecdotes because you know the government refuses to do, do that every crime in this country should be documented are you a citizen? Every arrest, are you a citizen? Because that's going to matter whether I have to release you or I could give you over the ice. It has nothing to do with who you are. or It's not even so much an immigration issue inherently. It's more just public safety using the tools of law. It makes a much bigger difference to know whether you're a citizen rather than your height, your weight, your eye color, and some arrest records, um, You know, certainly your race, and all that stuff is usually put down there. But the most obvious question is, are you a citizen? And then that needs to be documented in state data, in, in federal data. And, and, and we're still in the dark. So, man, we're already, uh, gosh, 12 minutes into the show. Didn't even get to what I wanted. But before I go down just a, a rapid fire explanation of different cases that I'm working on. I just want to say, I reached out yesterday to Carla Wolf. Um, Marla Wolf, I'm sorry, Marla Wolf, um, one of the latest angel families that I've um, gotten to meet. And I spoke to her a while on the phone yesterday. She, if you remember, if those of you who watched her went to the rally in Montgomery County, she lives in Montgomery County, Maryland. And her husband, uh, December 8th, 2007, he crashed into a barrier on I-270, you know, near DC. And he uh, you know, was pulled over on the side of the road in the shoulder. And this amazing person, Sander Cohen, who is the deputy uh, fire marshal of Montgomery County, pulls over, helps him, puts out flares around the car. I mean, you know, cause he was an emer trained emergency worker. And, you know, they're they're standing on the shoulder and and all of a sudden this illegal alien, this guy, Palacios is his last name, comes and just plows into them. And it, it's bad. Their bodies went flying and it, it, it was bad. One of them was run over on the opposite side of the road because his body was flown into oncoming traffic. And police, for whatever reason, never took his. Um, you know, tested him for drugs or for alcohol. They, they, they claim, oh, we, we can't prove there was any drunk driving, but the guy didn't even break. It couldn't have even been erratic. He plowed through. His brakes weren't applied. It makes no sense unless you were drunk driving. But this guy had two prior DUI convictions. 
He was arrested for smashing 15 cars with a crowbar and smashing a Dunkin' Donuts window. He was arrested on drugs before, over, you know, in the three years before that. ICE asked to interview him twice, and Montgomery County refused to allow them in the jails. Turns out he was a visa overstay illegal alien from Guatemala. And I, I hope to have her and um, Arlene Cohen, the mother of the other victim in that case, on the on the show in in the next week or so but you know i was thinking that you see the dichotomy um marlo's husband who was killed carlos wolf he immigrated to the country when he was eight years old from venezuela and he became a special agent supervisor with the fbi great guy you see the dichotomy one the way immigration is supposed to work, where there's a lot of wonderful people in the world, there's a lot of bad people in the world too, and we brought in a wonderful person that joined the FBI, loved America, and we brought in, uh, or you know, brought in and didn't properly vet originally on a work visa, and then he overstayed it because 18 years after 9/11, we still don't have a system in place visa exit entry, even though it passed Congress unanimously in 1996. And this piece of garbage just continuously got in trouble with the law, barely served any time, but then wasn't at least turned over to be deported. And, you know, just this whole problem of drunk driving, it's never quantified. We know from Department of Transportation reports and we know from anecdotal evidence that it overwhelmingly is done by Hispanics, are very prone to it. But I would argue that that's an unfair designation because I would, I would surmise that just given the criminality and the mentality behind it, it's more weighted towards illegal alien Hispanics. And that's why I don't care about the demographics. I want to know about the legal status because that makes all the difference. And we don't quantify that. We are importing drunk driving into this country beyond belief. Beyond belief. Drunk driving, MS-13, drug trafficking, and then the Islamic culture, honor killings, FGM, jihad, left and right. So let, let, let's go through some of these cases. So, um, and again, the problem is, so not only don't they collect data, but because of these privacy rules, it's very hard for me to get a hold of the information. If the guy's a minor, they won't give it to me. If the guys are this, they won't give it to me. And, and then that's even if I ask, and then almost always they can't, put out a press release to the public. You know, so often, I don't know about these cases, there's 50 million drunk drivings and murders and this type of murder and that type of rape and this type of sexual assault. Um, but it's reported, Baton Rouge man, this type of man. But really, it, it's not a Baton Rouge man. I'm going to get to that case in a minute. It's an illegal alien. And the difference is, one, we couldn't really prevent, at least not initially, whereas the other one, we imported it through an elective process of immigration that we didn't have to bring in. Either we're not enforcing our illegal immigration laws, our sovereignty laws that, you know, they shouldn't have come in, shouldn't have been attracted to the magnets to come here. And then with legal immigration, there's a lot of good legal immigrants we bring in, but there's a lot of bad ones. And it doesn't have to be that way. A hundred percent of the immigrants we bring in should be wonderful people for the simple reason that there's 7.8 billion people in the world. America is the Biggest destination everyone wants to come. We you know, supply and demand. It's it's like the first draft pick of any. You know, you, you get the first draft pick. You're going to pick the best players, right? And we don't we don't do that. It's the immigrants themselves who, after a generation of this since Hart Seller in 1965, themselves often are not exactly the best people we're bringing in. They themselves get to choose their relatives. So. You know, I'm just going to start with the drunk driving because um, this was uh, this is a drunk driving case. This this happened last Thursday. A Texas A&M student from Frisco was critically injured over the weekend in a hit and run caused by a driver. Police say was drunk on drugs, drunk and on drugs. So he was it was both DUI and um, and drugs. Carly Beatty, 19 was walking home early Saturday, oh, this was Saturday, with two roommates when she was struck near the university's campus, according to her family's fundraising page on Facebook. Um, this is from the Dallas Morning News, by the way. Cal College Station police 
this is in Brazos County, said they were called to Texas Avenue and University Drive just after 2 a.m. and found that the driver had left the scene of the crash. According to a witness, he got out of his vehicle and checked for damage before driving off. The Eagle reported officers located the driver, later identified as 17-year-old Pedro Damion Puga of Bryan, a short time later and arrested him after a short chase on foot. Puga told police, quote, he doesn't deal with the laws and claimed he wouldn't outrun officers if he hadn't used cocaine and Xanax earlier that night. Puga was charged with intoxication assault, causing serious bodily injury, um, accident involving serious bodily injury, and evading arrest. He was released from Brazos County Jail Sunday after posting 26,000 bond. Beatty, a sophomore of Texas A&M, majoring in animal science, was airlifted to Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center. Um, they thought she was going to die. She had four surgeries. It was really, really nasty. So first off, I'm almost positive this guy's an illegal alien. I can't prove it. But look at this culture that we imported, the culture of drugs, the culture of drunk driving, and we don't do laws. Now, as an aside, harking back to yesterday's show, which is the general jailbreak, and this is even in Texas, how in the world does a judge let a guy out in $26,000 bond? Like that That's usually if the guy was reckless driving. It was just reckless and nothing else. So yeah, they don't hold the guy for too long. But if the guy was caught with drugs and alcohol, and then he left the scene, and then when they got to him, he evaded arrest, and he said something like, I would have run away from you successfully had I not been on cocaine. All that mixed together is the consummate flight risk. I mean, 26,000 bond is insane. But again, these people get off for nothing. This Palacios guy who killed uh, Marla Wolf's husband and um, Arlene Cohn's son, he wound up, even after the fact, didn't get any jail time, a $280 fine, by the way, in, in Maryland, paid for by Casa de Maryland. We're going to talk about that when we have her on. Folks, I have a million drunk driving cases, but this was just a really tragic case. 19-year-old girl, really, really severely injured. And you see, this was a bad dude. You could tell, I mean, under anyone's definition. This is what we bring into the country. This is what we bring in. But anyway, the main article I have out today is this important thing you all need to know. And I need you guys to call your, your members of Congress and call the White House on this. There is a dangerous provision in the operating budget bill that's set to expire September 30th, but likely it's going to extend with a continuing resolution that they're going to pass next week, and likely in the final omnibus bill for the remainder of the fiscal year, they're going to stick it in indefinitely, this provision. So as you know, one of the many ways where we build a superhighway to bring in the worst criminals, foreign national gangs and drugs, and make American people literally pay for it, is this UAC program, Unaccompanied Alien Children. As you all know, we have a law passed in 2008 that was very sensible. If you are brought here unaccompanied as a minor, and you are, a, quote, a victim of a severe form of trafficking, and you don't have any guardian or relatives present in the country, you are treated like a refugee. I mean, if someone kidnaps you and dumps you on our border, you know, we're going to do that. That, that. That's very sensible. Like every other thing in law, it's been twisted upside down to be used to empower the very worst traffickers at the expense of America. What has happened is illegal alien parents in America traffic their kids, self-trafficked, to come into America. So they're not a victim because they're self-trafficked and they're not unaccompanied because they don't have because they have someone present in the country doing the trafficking. And we stupidly treat them as refugees, hand them over to HHS, cost several billion dollars a year, this whole refugee resettlement process, and we resettle them with illegal alien families who themselves need to be deported. And then many of these kids are the worst of the worst because they're coming from a very violent culture, mainly male, about 75 to 80% of them are males, usually 16, 17 years old. Some of them are over 18 and lie about their age. You want to know why we have an endless supply of MS-13 the last few years, why we have the drug crisis, because remember, MS-13 is a um, distributor for the cartels and 18th Street Gang, all these gangs. 
why it happened right around 2014. You could plot it on a graph. Actually, I'm gonna link right here in show notes to a graphic I have um, from uh, yesterday's article of Maryland's overdose rate. Look, 2014 is when it took off, right in the year 2014. Why? Because that's when the transnational gangs were supplied by the UACs. Hundreds of thousands of these young Central Americans from, from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala coming in, and we are supplying them. In February, I was the first to warn about it that day, and Trump still signed the stupid bill. Remember, we had a government shutdown, and we were the ones who were supposed to get border security and closing of the loopholes. Instead, Trump tossed an interception, and Democrats put in a provision making it worse. Not only didn't we fix the UAC loophole, but we prospectively invited illegal alien sponsors to come forward, and anyone who sponsors a UAC, they themselves get amnesty and get protected from ICE deportation. Now, it didn't write it exactly like that. It said that ICE can't use any of the data from HHS on the resettlement to deport the, 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 those who sponsor. But the problem is, it basically stopped them from doing it because anyone they do it to, they'll get a lawsuit and they'll say, you got the information from HHS. This is, everyone in ICE tells me this is the most dangerous provision. I talked to Tom Homan yesterday. He was, I mean, and at the time, I know he blasted it. We warned about it. Trump could have just said, look, take that provision out. They had no leverage to shut the government down over that provision, agree to it. This provision is gonna expire September 30th. The problem is they're gonna do a continuing resolution. That continues everything in the bill. I just want you to understand how dangerous this is. In that case of 22 MS-13 folks arrested for brutal murders in LA a couple months ago, over the summer, where most of them were recent arrivals, U.S. Attorney Nick Hanna was quoted in the LA Times as saying, quote, we're seeing an influx of younger gang members coming in the area associating themselves with the Fulton clique of MS-13 who are extremely violent, who have to commit murders to join the clique. Claude Arnold, who once ran LA's field office for ICE, said, these are newer entrants, so they're making their bones with the gang. It's just how it is. They want to make a name for themselves, and those are the people who are generally the most violent members of the gang. According to the indictment, these people were required to kill an MS-13 rival or someone perceived to be adverse to MS-13 to be initiated into the gang. Mark Morgan, the current acting CBP director, famously said, as Border Patrol chief, I, I would tour the detention facilities filled to capacity with unaccompanied minors 17 years of age or younger who had illegally entered the country. Alone and without any parents or guardians, as I looked at, at these people, I saw both hardened young men as well as vulnerable and lost youth. With every encounter, I walked away wondering how many would be lured into joining a gang. The odds were not in their favor as they were released into somewhere, into a city somewhere in the U.S., never to be heard of again. And we are rewarding aliens to sponsor and traffic them in at our expense so they could do this. ICE arrested about 1,000 gang members at the border. Much more than the last couple of years. And those are just the ones they catch. Well, we never hear from them, right? Well, we have the case of... Um, I wrote about in Tennessee, Nashville. Nashville's a big sanctuary in a red state. Big sanctuary. Big problem there. This kid, Pineda Caceres, 18 years old, he came in in 2014 as a UAC. By the way, I got that from an unauthorized source. They weren't allowed to give that to me, but I got it out of him. I couldn't source it, but I'll tell you, he was a UAC. This is the thing. We don't quantify how many acts are committed by them. Um, but a recent sting of MS-13 found that 40% of them were resettled as UACs, as refugees. Talk about paying for the rope to hang ourselves. Unbelievable. But this kid, he was drug trafficking. Yes, that's a big part of the, wherever you see MS-13, you, you know there's drug trafficking. He was charged on that. He was deported. And then he came back again, again, because it's a sanctuary. So he's attracted to come to Davidson County. And basically, he was, he was caught this week. He was arrested by ICE because he almost killed someone. And then um, 
you know, in, in a driving accident again when he was fleeing police. And then basically he kidnapped and beat another kid who probably wasn't illegal trying to get him to join the gang. This, see, this is not, oh, there was a kidnapping. There was drugs. This needs to be quantified as an illegal alien crime and specifically a UAC crime because that tells a story. A narrative that I just read to you from my notes here from these quotes from law enforcement that this is a trend. It's not by accident. We're importing it. It's very recent arrivals from very specific places for a very specific reason. You can't just, oh, there was a, there was a killing here. Oh, it goes into that FBI's uniform crime statistics on, on murder or on rape and robbery. No. But we don't quantify it. This is what we're importing. But anyway, this provision that invites illegal aliens to traffic other violent MS-13 folks into the country and themselves get um, amnesty needs to, needs to be stopped. Um, this is very, very important. As Jessica Vaughn told me, in the past, one of the ways ICE would take care of the youth gang problem was to remove the whole family. Because not always, but often, the family harbors them and they're involved in the gangs. Um, but now, because you know, it denies the gang members a support system, now they get amnesty. Call your members of Congress, call the White House and say this provision must come out of this budget bill. Man, we're half an hour in and I, I just barely got started. There's so much to talk about. Let me do one more illegal alien, um, traditional Latin American illegal alien one, and then um, move on to some of the terrorism ones or Islamic immigrants that we're bringing in and the Islamic culture, honor killings, and, and, and stuff like that. So we've noted time and again here that there is a very, very, very serious child molesting problem among Latin American immigrants. It's a fact. Don't shoot the messenger. Left-wing NGOs, Girls Not Brides, points this out. The amount of them that, that actually get married so early, so early, a very big problem. Um, let me just give you some data here that I have. According to Girls Not Brides, child marriage tends to happen more in rural areas than in urban areas in Guatemala. Over half of rural girls are married before 18. These are the people coming, by the way. They're, they're from the rural areas. They also note that poverty can also drive child marriage in the region. Indigenous girls living in impoverished areas can be especially vulnerable. Again, those are the people we're bringing in. Um, you know, basically a Senate Homeland Security Committee report published in January on child marriages showed that um, spousal visa policies has allowed roughly 8,700 child brides, including 14-year-olds, to be brought in this country. Whether it's the Middle East immigrants, whether it's Latin America, this is what they do. Again, not everyone's like that. You could find wonderful people that will that are fleeing that type of mentality and they're not going to bring it here but a this is why you can't have illegal immigrants that aren't vetted at all and b legal immigrants you have, it has to be the right quantities you can't have too many because then you you know implant the culture where you are and then the ones you have it has to be merit-based and it has to have the proper vetting and that this way you would know the uscis caseworker would say hey like what part of the world you're coming from. And they would be responsible for different areas, learn about the areas, learn the signs to see, learn how to vet them if they're one of those or not. But what I want to say here, I mean, and, and look, th there are tons of these cases. I have a case I suspected of, of a two-year-old, but this is one I've confirmed today with ICE that's an illegal alien from Mexico. Um, just trying to pull this up again because there's so, so, so many of these. Basically, man, I'm trying to see where my notes are here. 
I'm sorry. I mean, I was in such a rush today. I didn't print it out. And there's it's insane how many of these cases there are. But if you look here. This is from the advocate in Louisiana. Baton Rouge man indicted in rape of a four year old girl also accused of molesting a six year old girl. God, man. 30-year-old Baton Rouge man was accused by a grand jury Wednesday of raping a four-year-old girl, molesting a six-year-old girl. Um, basically, he's being charged with a first-degree rape. The case is coming soon. Okay, I mean, not much to say there, except the guy's not a Baton Rouge man. I can confirm he's an illegal alien from Mexico. There's a nice detainer on him. See, this is the problem. We have these privacy policies where they don't they can't proactively report it. We don't take the data. And this would be important to know. We have data on everything. There's no reason we shouldn't quantify every child sex assault. How many are committed by foreign nationals? Because that's important. If it's an oversized share, then you have to say, well, where is this coming from? We're clearly not doing a good enough job in the immigration system. So clearly you need to curtail immigration from these areas or at the very least have a system in place where the caseworkers are trained in trying to identify this. What I'm telling you is it's not just there's bad elements from Latin America. There certainly are. But it's worse than that. It's a systemic culture of a good amount of people. They marry kids as young as 12. So that gets them into that. We have plenty of child molesters in America, but it's the culture doesn't sustain it. They're criminal elements. Here, it's more pervasive because it's almost part of the culture in many of these areas. So that's this case. But speaking of culture, let's move on to the Islamic culture. Here's my next article for today. 72-year-old Mohammed Sahi was arrested again in Texas. Governor Abbott, all these rhinos are looking for, oh, guns and this and that. Well, maybe you ought to focus on background checks on immigrants so we don't import the most violent cultures. Because when you do that, guess what? They don't need a gun to kill. And here's the story. Court documents, blood spattered grandfather makes chilling confession to neighbor police and police after murdering family. 72-year-old Mohammed Sahi is facing charges of capital murder and assault with a deadly weapon. Basically, he came out of his house and went to neighbors and said, call the police. And he was full of blood. Police came and he admitted to murdering his daughter and grandson and one and severely beating another grandson. Upon entering the home, the officers discovered the body of 47-year-old Narjiz Zaman on the living room floor with severe head and facial trauma. The body of a second victim, 18-year-old Hamid Zaman, was located upstairs in the den with severe head and facial trauma. And then there was a third victim, 21-year-old Hamza Zaman, was found still breathing in his bedroom. Um, but he was very, very severely injured. He's being charged with all of that. He could barely, he's from Pakistan. Um, and he could barely speak, he can't speak English, so he had an interpreter in court. And through the interpreter, he yelled out, I did it. Right? He confessed both on the spot and he confessed in court. Now, let me let me be very clear. I don't like to speculate. So I don't have any evidence, but here's what we know. Police say they absolutely have no motive. They they don't know what happened here. They're confounded by it. Um it, it's bizarre in many ways because I mean it's also I mean a 72-year-old man, I mean the 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 guys were 18 and 21-year-old males and he had a stick. He said he beat them with a stick. That's what police believe it was. I mean I don't know what a stick is. I don't know why they couldn't get the better of him. He snuck up on them. I don't know. what. It's just bizarre. But it's in Corpus Christi, very nice area. They don't see this stuff happening a lot. And again, this is the point. This is not a Corpus Christi man. This is a Pakistani man who seems to have relatively recently come here. 72 years old. And I can confirm with you from ICE officials in Texas, on the record, he is here illegally. Likely overstayed a visa um, in the case of this Pakistani. So he was initially given a visa. We know he's 72 years old, which is really odd to have a 72-year-old, like, butcher someone with a stick, like, beat their face to death. It's just not the age for it. Just, you know, if you study criminology, it's, it's, it's very, very rare. Um, 
there's no motive. It's his daughter and two grandsons. You know, he did it so openly and then multiple times confessed to it. I'm surmising here, and but I don't know. But absent anything else, this looks like an honor killing to me. His daughter and grandsons, he's open about it, admits to it, did it openly, beats them in a certain way. 72-year-old men don't usually just do random crimes. It's a family issue. This is not me. This is left-wing Amnesty International spotlighted. I'm going to have this in my article. They spotlighted Pakistan as the most um, problematic place for honor killings. They report about 1,000 of them a year there. Trump, in his executive order, called on DOJ and DHS to put out data on honor killings. How often it happens, you know, who, you know, who, who's doing it. They say they don't take the data. They don't really have it. This is a big deal. It's a certain culture. Coincidentally, the same day this was alleged to have happened last Thursday, another Pakistani who came just two years ago, this guy, um, Rohil Sarwar in California, was sentenced to death. Not death. No, he wasn't. The defendant, the victim's want, family wanted death, but it was California, so he was given life without parole for what the judge at the sentencing called the most vicious criminal acts he's ever seen. So basically, this guy would come to this massage parlor where you had these Asian immigrant female workers, um, and he would sexually harass them every day, sexually assaulted them a couple of times, demanded that they you know, have relations with him. He would then throw urine at them. He was called the P-Man, evidently. He would come in and out, um, and on... August 21st, 2018, he stabbed Junying Lu, so it's a female um, worker there, masseuse, to death 14 times, very gruesome way. So this happened last August. He was um, convicted, I believe, in July or August, and he was sentenced last Thursday. And he was sentenced for sexual assault as well as um, special murder charges. But there's an important backdrop to this story. There's an important backdrop, and this is from Lloyd Billingsley of the California Globe. He wrote about this, that this guy evidently was having an affair with this woman, Tamsila N., they didn't give her full name, who is another Pakistani woman living in California, and she testified about who he was and that he was abusive to her, he would say, I'll break your legs if you don't do this sort of sexual act with me. That, and they were trying to say how just completely subjugated women. The prosecutor talked a lot about that, the culture that this guy believed in, that he believed he could just come to women and abuse them all the time. And, um, you know, this, this is basically, I, I'm just reading uh, what happened there. Um, the daughter of this, oh, and by the way, this woman, who is also a Pakistani immigrant, who was his mistress, her, she said at the trial that her family wanted to bring her back to Pakistan to kill her in an honor killing. So this, this, we are bringing in people with that mentality. But anyway, in a very poignant statement, um, Jun Ying's Lu's daughter, Amy, said when she spoke right before the sentencing to give the victim impact statement, she said, quote, this is the United States where we have human rights. Um, she wondered why Zarwar wasn't kicked out of the United States, because that's a whole thing. It seemed like this was going on for at least a few weeks. Was he I'm not clear. Was he arrested? If he was, why wasn't he turned over to ICE? Um, again, he might have been here legally. I don't know if he was an illegal, but either way, sexual assault. I mean, that should have been he should have been held on an immigration detainer. He should have been should have been removed. I mean, this is all avoidable stuff, but folks, this is all what we're bringing into this country. So this is another case. And I can go on and on and on. American Airlines mechanic accused of sabotaging jet 
may have ter terroristized Fed, Fed say. Think about this, friends. While we basically make people strip naked and ensure that they have no rights in airports, cast a wide net on broad constitutional rights, we not only bring in hundreds of thousands every year from the Middle East without any vetting, bringing in the jihadist mentality, not all of them, but too many of them, not only that, we have them work at airports on airplanes. So this guy was an Iraqi immigrant from the, he came here earlier in the 1980s, Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani. So initially, there was no evidence of jihad. He said it was a, a labor dispute. He was a disgruntled worker. So he, he evidently stuck foam um, tampering with the, uh, what do you call it? It was the... Um, instruments in the cockpit to ensure that basically they would have to fly manually none of the instruments would work sabotaging a, a flight from miami to the bahamas a couple of weeks ago he was arrested but now the miami um herald reports brand new article that there's now the prosecutors now believe that he might have links to middle east terrorist organizations and um, it's it's not just a workforce dis dispute, which we 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 thought, but I didn't have any proof of when I talked about this last week. So he basically um, he made a trip to Iraq in March, um, and he told a fellow American Airlines employee in June that his brother had been kidnapped and was a member of ISIS. Um, Prosecutor said that. Alani allowed the FBI to search his smartphone and they found disturbing ISIS video in which a person was being shot in the head and that he sent the video to someone with an Arabic message asking Allah to take revenge against non-Muslims. Um, in addition, Alani sent $700 to someone in Iraq where he was born and his family was raised. I don't know what they're trying to prove with that necessarily. But um, yeah, I mean... Folks, if this is what a guy who seems relatively affluent because they said he would commute from California to work in Miami, he was a mechanic for the planes, he, he probably made a good living with American Airlines, and he's been in America for as long as I've been alive, pretty much. If, if this guy feels this way about America, could you imagine the 200,000 Iraqis we've brought in since 9-11 as LPRs, thanks to the Iraq war. If I've ever seen a counterintuitive policy, that's one of them. Do we have any idea how much of this mentality we're importing? The FGM, the honor killings, the jihadist mindset, just like with the MS-13 mindset with the Latin Americans. I mean, do we have any idea? 18 years after 9-11, this is where the attacks are going to come from. Could you imagine we go to war endlessly in the Middle East and then bring in migrants? We double our immigration from the Middle East. We make everyone strip naked at, in, in airplanes. God forbid, do you know that we could have had an entire plane, let's say, blown up by an Iraqi immigrant that was working there that we just don't vet? And I can go on and on and on and on and on. I haven't even scraped the surface of what's going on. There's another case. Alabama man arrested in terrorism probe. And there's tons of Alabama cases recently. So, you know, we know about terrorism in New York, Minneapolis, you know, some of these areas. You know, Atlanta, uh, Alabama has had, I I've seen at least four ISIS cases recently. An Alabama man has been apprehended as part of a year-long years terrorism probe in which FBI says he told agents he would execute you as a soldier if ordered to do so by the Islamic State group. Um, basically, this guy living in Opelika, Alabama, um, studied at community college there. He came to America in 2015. Um, they found out that he communicated through encrypted apps on his phone with suspected terrorists who told him he should carry out an attack on the United States. That's a pretty big deal. Now, the article, the AP article says that he was a Jordanian national who's also a dual U.S. citizen who was born in the UAE and grew up in Saudi Arabia. So I said, that doesn't make sense. He came in 2015. How is he already a U.S. citizen? 
Well, I looked at the charging documents and there's a request from the federal prosecutor to detain the guy because they say there's an ICE detainer on him. Well, if there's an ICE detainer on him, that means he ain't an Alabama man and he ain't a dual citizen because there can't be an ICE detainer if he's a U.S. citizen. So I'll update you on this case. But I mean, this is another case. 2015. But we're bringing them in hundreds of thousands every year between LPRs and the student visas. Is it too much to ask that anyone we bring in loves America? I, is, is that too much to ask? There's plenty of people like Carlos Wolf, Marla's husband, who came from Venezuela, became an FBI agent. There's people like that. We need to decrease the numbers, particularly from areas where there's problems, and then better vet. America's becoming a super highway for every social and criminal ill in the entire globe, whether it's the narco culture, whether it's the, the MS-13 gang culture from Central America, whether it's the Islamic Sharia jihadist culture and the subjugation of women culture. I mean, where's all this uh, Me Too and women's movement? Really? I mean, that's what you want to bring in in large numbers? Again, a couple people you properly vet, you bring them in under the right circumstances for a merit-based system. Yeah, like, Pakistan sucks. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. You know, I love America. But if you bring in large numbers unvetted, some stay illegally because we don't vet our, we don't have a visa um, monitoring system in place, or, you know, they come through chain migration, diversity visa lottery where there's no vetting. It's just, it's on and on and on and on. It's just unbelievable. So we have all these cases here. And I'm still missing a few. Could you imagine if Republicans had a national narrative on this? But anyway, don't forget about that provision, the MS-13 provision, giving amnesty to those who traffic Central American teens that often become MS-13. Call your members of Congress. Call the White House. Let them hear from you. Tell them that must be taken out. Say Trump should never have signed that bill. And now this is a time to atone for that sin. Anyway, I'm about out of steam, out of time till tomorrow. God bless y'all, and thanks for listening.